I didn't do all the fun things other people were doing at that time. I wasn't the one going to pub crawls or St. Patrick's Days or Halloween parties or New Year's Eve anything or even Christmas Day. It was one of my busiest years for 10 years and when I owned my own restaurant bar. Busiest day of the year. So like I work 365 days a year and I still do and I don't have to, but I do because I love it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Melanie Badrovic. Today, we're learning about how she became a millionaire by 27 and had enough passive income that she could have retired before she was 30. We learn the tactics and strategies that she used to build up a real estate portfolio that made her a millionaire and generated this passive income for her. We also learn about how an immigrant mentality helped her have the work ethic to make all of these great things happen. We also discuss how she invests in real estate today and how her focus has kind of shifted a little bit over the years as she's found other opportunities to build passive wealth and passive income through real estate. We dig into where she learned her hardworking mentality so that she was willing to put in all the work that was required to build up a real estate portfolio and so much more. It's a great conversation. She's very friendly, very sharing. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here and that's when we're doing it. If you're just hearing my voice, then you're missing out on the video content. The video version of the interview is live on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube watching us right now, don't forget to subscribe and hit the thumbs up button to catch us again next time. Once again, our guest today is Melanie Badrovic. Let's go. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey of building your multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. But before we get into your real estate journey, can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you come from, and then we'll start talking real estate here. Sure. So I was born and raised in Canada, even though all, I'm first generation Canadian. The rest of my family was all born in the former Yugoslavia. My father, Bosnia, my mother and her family, Serbia. And so that was the first language I spoke. I actually learned how to speak English in school, even though I was born here in Canada. And they put me to work really young. They eventually, I was about 12 years old, and they got a small bar restaurant, which is a lot, but the bar industry is huge in my history, and hence the name of, of my first book, The Wealthy Barmaid, because I was tending bar for way too long. I'll, 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 I'll remember how many years. But anyway, they put me to work when I was 12 years old and it was in the kitchen. And I just remember like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had to learn kind of on the fly. I think my mom showed me a few things. And I just remember like doing homework on the chest freezer or like in between orders and stuff like that. And so I worked from that young of an age until I was hostessing and then busing. And then my parents bought a second location at the time that was a lot bigger, required a lot more staff, uh, required just like 
management, all kinds of stuff. So from there, I was like 16 years old and I was managing the entire restaurant by the time I was 17. And that was like 23 employees at the time. So I was a bartender, like everything from, as I said, from being in the kitchen, hostessing, serving, bartending, managing. That's what I did for probably 18 years for my parents. And I never got paid. I started getting paid when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And it was my mother who said, like, I'm going to keep all of your your salary bar wage, which was really low back then. It's still <laughs> low now, but can you imagine like 20 years ago? So she kept all of my paychecks on the side. I also saved a good portion of my tips. I was still living at home. Obviously, I was still young, so I was able to save on tips as well. And I did this all throughout school. Like, obviously, I was in elementary school when I started. It was all through high school. It was all through my my undergraduate degree and then all even all through my MBA. Never didn't work. I did a stint in Toronto for about one year, and I worked three jobs there. And one of them was at a pub that was super super busy, made a ton of money. It was an awesome experience. But then I'd still drive home on certain weekends that I wasn't booked or on weekdays to take more shifts over there. So I just was a real workhorse. And I think that all stems from coming from an immigrant family, particularly my grandparents My on my mother's side. They came to Canada with, like my grandfather just always had it in his head that we need to be in North America. That's where we can have your freedom. That's where the opportunity is. And they ended up coming, two small kids, my mother and her brother, my uncle, who was a major advisor for me. We can get to that later. Two kids, a suitcase and $69. They arrived in Canada. Didn't know a lick of English, didn't have any skills, didn't have any education, didn't know what the heck was going on. They decided to settle in this area, uh, Niagara Falls, Canada, because there was a large Serbian community already here. And just like they did so much before I was even born, factories and my grandma was cleaning rooms, but she also worked at, at canning factories. My grandfather would work in the factory and then he would go pick worms at night. Like they were just obsessively like had a ton of work ethic, highly disciplined. And then when I came around, it was the same thing. Then they slowly transitioned into the bar business when I came around and they had a huge place. It was called Port Mansion. And I just remember being with them all the time. I have pictures of like me in the weeds with my grandma, like trying to make the place look pretty and doing the landscaping. And oh God, I also had so much fun in there too when I was a kid because it was such a huge restaurant and it had a theater upstairs and a, a nightclub downstairs and this huge kitchen. Me and my best friend would just always go in the kitchen and eat like the cookie dough and like <laughs> we'd have some fun stuff there. But anyways, I, I feel like I got that from them. And they just always went to work no matter what. Didn't matter if, if you don't feel great, if you feel like crap, if you're sick, if you're tired, if you're whatever the reason is, no matter what, or you get phone call at two in the morning from the police or something like all, things always go happen wrong at bars. And there's always things you have to make like a million decisions a day as soon as you walk in the door. One of my friends always laughs at me about that when, when I was running my own restaurant too. He's like, how did you do it? You just like walk in the door and you just get smacked with a hundred questions and you have to, boom, knock everything off, right? So that's really the story. And that's how I was able to eventually, by the time I was very young, I think for an investor to start, I was 22 years old and I had all this money and my, I believe it was my father's idea to say like, look, you're 
if you don't do something with that money, you're going to blow through it. He's like, why don't you buy real estate? And that was another component, let's say, from my grandfather. He said the two things you need in Canada or North America for this case, you need a business and you need real estate. That's how you get success in this country. So that's exactly what I did. I followed his words. I have have and have had multiple businesses, companies, also real estate. So when I was 22 years old, that's how I had enough money in order to buy the first house. So I hope that answers your question in terms of where I came from, how I got the money, and how I originally got into getting my first long-term buy and hold. I love that. So the mindset, the willingness to work hard, I think is probably the good way to put it. And that led you to making that first real estate acquisition. You said it's a it was a long-term hold, but a lot of folks, when they set out to do that first long-term hold, if they haven't done a deal before, maybe they don't have a mentor guiding them, not really sure what to buy or what price works, how to manage it, and that can lead to a lot of mistakes. Oh, yeah. What did that first deal look like for you in, in those terms? I was very lucky that my neighbor across the street was a real estate agent like 35 years in the business. He was like a second father to me. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he really helped me. So using a real estate agent who knows investment properties, not just, you know, buying for your principal residence, because he owned a bunch of his own houses. He owned a bunch of commercial um, multiplexes and uh, multifamily homes as well. So he was kind of my guide. And I think we saw probably a hundred houses before I found the one. And it was just perfect timing. It was an estate sale. The kid always, when somebody dies, like all the kids, everyone just wants the fucking money. So everyone's like, let's sell. So they were extremely motivated. I got a really good price back then. I can't even like what's happened in Canada from then till now is obscene. It's absurd, but I got it a really good deal. I've only put down 15% though, which later had I known, if you don't put down 20%, you have to pay CMHC in Canada. So that's just basically an insurance on your mortgage. So had I known, I would have come up with that extra money one way or another. But either way, that house has done wonders for me. And I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. Originally, my thought was just okay, I know I'm going to be an entrepreneur my whole life. I, I knew this by the time I was 15 years old. And I'm like, so I'm not going to be getting any pension from anywhere or anything. I'm not going to rely on the government to like help me in my latter years or anything like that. And that's why I bought it really was to, I was thinking like, okay, so by then the mortgage will be nothing and I'll just, that'll just be passive income coming in to help me survive in my latter years. That's really kind of why I did it. I didn't, even begin to understand all of the benefits of real estate. Like I had no clue, like the appreciation and that you can refinance and use that money towards buying more real estate and just what it does to your net worth, how it impacts your life, how passive income impacts your life. It's freaking the best thing there is on planet earth, in my opinion. Like I was, and then, yeah, like I was 22 years, sorry, 27 years old when I became a millionaire. And then a few years later after that, like I was already had enough passive income that I didn't have to work. And this is like before the age of 30. So I had no clue anyway, uh, beautiful surprises. And I still, it's, I'm constantly still amazed 
and all the benefits that real estate has. Like it's just the safest investment next to gold. It hedges against inflation. It there's like I could go on and on. I could write another book, which is coming, by the way. <laughs> it is. I do. It's on. It's underway. But yeah. So that's. I hope I answered your question there. Yeah, absolutely. So becoming a millionaire by 27 and having enough passive income to not have to work before 30 is, I think they're both dreams that a lot of people don't achieve. And it it sounds like if I'm reading between the lines, you didn't even really necessarily set out to achieve that because you weren't not afraid of working. So it wasn't, I need passive True. income to retire. But walk us through what it took to hit that million dollar net worth and then also build those streams of passive income. Here is where a ton of the work comes in. And I know people really want me to say some really easy thing that made it happen and like, you know, you can do it too overnight. And But it's not. It was a lot of grueling years working, sometimes three jobs outside of the Toronto jobs that I mentioned before. But even in Niagara, I'd be working three jobs and still going to school. And uh, like I said, all throughout, not only my undergrad, but also my MBA. And like, that that's hard because there's a lot to study and you got to learn a lot. But let's just put it this way. I mean, I didn't do all the fun things other people were doing at that time. I wasn't the one going to pub crawls or St. Patrick's Days or Halloween parties or New Year's Eve anything or even Christmas Day. It was one of my busiest years for 10, 10 years and when I owned my own restaurant bar busiest day of the year. So like I work 365 days a year and I still do and I don't have to, but I do because I love it. But that is what enabled me to save the money, buy a property, work my butt off, save the money, buy another property. I did that about three or four times until then I started refinancing properties to get another property and then refinancing this one to get another property. And the biggest and most then the scariest thing I ever did, because I wasn't really that scared, to be honest, with this with the single family homes. They didn't scare me at all. I'm like, I know people are always gonna need somewhere to rent. God forbid you could sell in a pinch, but that's never what you wanna do in real estate. You never wanna be put yourself in that position. So don't over leverage yourself. But it was the scariest one was buying my first commercial property. So it's like a ten thousand square foot property in St. Catharines that I purchased with the intent to run my own bar restaurant from. And oh boy, I didn't sleep for like three months before that deal closed. And I remember secretly hoping like something's going to let something go wrong, let something go wrong because like, I just don't know if I can do this. Can I do this? Like every day I was running the numbers and running out what teams do I need to have and how many people do I like, what events, what theme nights, what specials. I was in there seven days a week, literally for two and a half months, like counting how many drinks were being sold around me, counting like, what are the prices? What is, how much food is being sold? I was literally, I literally did that and sat there and watched the bartenders and watched what came out of the kitchen, what came out of the bar, what went into the till to see like, okay, is this going to make it? Is this going to make, because I already knew I was in the industry for 18 years already at that point. So I know this industry very well. And through all of that and through a ton of my own brainstorming, I was like, like, this is it. Let's do it. This no matter what ha it's like what they say about being an entrepreneur is you jump out of the plane and you figure out how to open the parachute or get a parachute on your way down. You just figure it out. So I had to really believe in myself. I had to really get that all that doubt out of my head, thinking that that I couldn't do it. 
that was one of the most difficult things ever. And then once I did buy it, I didn't sleep probably for another like two years after that. I was there seven days a week from open to close, which is like 16 hours a day. And until I could finally sort everything out, get it to where I wanted it, get proper management in place and all that stuff so that I could finally step back a little bit. And But it was a, it's a grueling grind kind of a business. It's not fun at all. But that was the year that I purchased. That was the year that I became a millionaire. And then a few years later is when I was able to have enough passive income in order to not have to work. But I still did. I ran it for about 10 years and I sold it. You won't believe me. I sold it right before COVID. Not the building, by the way, just the business, because I'm not into selling. I'm only into buying unless something goes horribly wrong. But so yeah, I still in the building and I sold it right before COVID, the business. And it was like, do I have a horseshoe up my butt? Like, I don't know how that went down. <laughs> and it was to the most awesome person I could, like, I was like, no one else is getting this but him. So like, we're making a deal one way or another. And anyway, so yeah, that takes us up to sort of how I was able to become a millionaire at a young age, acquiring that commercial property right off the hop, like because I got it at such a good deal. There was a divorce situation. They weren't even paying the CRA anymore. They weren't paying. Their beer store wasn't delivering anymore. Like it was a, just a mess. And so I took it from like nothing. Like it was a really, it wasn't doing very well. And I brought it up to within two years, up to a million dollars a year business. And it only kept growing from there until I sold it. Like I said, that's what, three years ago now. So that's, yeah, that was the year that I became, that I, that I was felt self-sufficient fully and a millionaire. And it just has kept growing since then. Awesome. So when you first hit that point where you had enough passive income that you didn't have to work anymore, but you continued working, what did like the, the pie chart, if you will, of those different income sources look like? You might not know that exactly offhand, but roughly how much of it was real estate? How much was it uh, the restaurant? How much was like other sources? It was only real estate. I did not count my restaurant earnings in my passive income section. So while I was running my restaurant, I made a lot of money. Like it was good for quite some time and it was awesome. And I was really young and like I was making money hand over fist. It was awesome. But I kept using that money to buy some real estate. And then also later, like I said, once I got management in place, then I was able, I started traveling a lot and just checking in every, like being gone for uh, the longest I would go away would be three months. But I would do one month here and there, two months here and there. I think I only did three months, two or three times. But anyways, so what did that look like? Yeah, it was all real estate, by the way, in terms of the passive income based on how much it cost me to live, right? For my house, my mortgage, all my bills, my car, my phone, my everything like that was completely covered by real estate only. So the money I made from the bar was just extra cash flow to save, to put aside, to buy more properties, et cetera. Great. Okay. So as you like bring it closer to the present day, as you have more success, especially after you sold that business, but kept the real estate, how does your overall like real estate investing strategy change or evolve as you get more resources and maybe get some of your time back? Do you think about adding different types of real estate investments and different strategies or focusing on just one or two? How have you thought about that? 
Okay, no, my favorite all-time strategy is long-term buy and holds. Always will love it, love it today, love it tomorrow, and I love it forever because, especially when you get great tenants, of course there are horror stories and of course there's a lot of crap that goes on and you know what I mean? Like I know so many people who had that one property and that one thing went wrong and they totally got screwed. So they were like, screw it, I'm selling it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and how do they feel about it now? Yeah wish they would have freaking kept it right like (laughs) so bad like i really do i see it's like so i've had those believe me we've all had i've had such difficult times or they don't pay or i had a situation where i literally had con artists like all this kind of stuff and it it was awful and i lost money and it was hard to kick them out and i couldn't end up getting them to like the landlord and tenant board and everything was not helpful whatsoever in helping me get their wages garnished and they were moving around like so I've had a ton of that crap happen too, a lot of bad scenarios, but I persevere through it because I'm going to be the one laughing 30, 40, 50 years from now, right? You know what I'm saying? Like people, they had they get that one hit and they're like, I'm out, I'm out, this isn't for me, it's too much, it's whatever it is, where I fully disagree. So love long-term buy and holds. Another thing that I notice a lot of people do is they don't treat it like a business and it that really bothers me. Like the stories I hear sometimes from people like, oh, yeah, I called my landlord three months ago. I've had a leak. Hasn't even called me back yet or this and that. Like they just say handle it yourself or don't even answer, blah, blah, blah. It's like if you treat your real estate like a hobby, it's going to pay you like a hobby. If you treat it like a business, that's when you make the real money and you don't miss a beat. Like if something's wrong, I have somebody there within 45 minutes. It doesn't even matter what it is. I got the team is fully set up and ready to rock. When there's an issue, it's dealt with immediately. I don't sit on it. I don't look at the text and do I respond? Do I not respond? No, like I'm on it. I'm getting it fixed, getting it covered. Boom, boom, done. And then people really appreciate having landlords like that. They take better care of my property. I have great relationships with them. I bring them baskets for Christmas and Thanksgiving and whatever the case may be. I just keep the lines of communication open. I keep everybody happy. For the most part, of course, like again, there are horror stories, but long-term buy and hold is my favorite. I don't like student housing because it's too transitional. It's a lot. That's a lot of work. I don't like. I don't love one apart, one one bedroom apartments and stuff like that because that's also very transitional. That's usually people going through a divorce or just you know they need something for a certain period of time. And there's also a lot of turnover when you have stuff like that. So that's why long-term, like detached homes, that is my favorite strategy. However, then I jumped into the commercial space as well, as we mentioned, where I ran my restaurant bar out of. And seeing now how awesome that is and getting the rent and the money that I'm getting from it is like, holy sweet. Like commercial is also where it's at. So I would love to do more commercial spaces as well. And then finally, I got into Airbnb. So and that also was weirdly by chance. I just like I just wanted to have a lakefront property one day and I'm like, I would, I just want a house on the lake. I want a lake house. So I went shopping around and I, I found one. It ended up, it was like listed for 874. I ended up getting it for like 675. I don't know. I pulled a rabbit out of a hat and they financed me for a year. You know what I mean? So like, it was just at like 4%, which at the time was in, like just incredibly low. So again, that I pulled a rabbit out of a hat. And I was just using it. We had parties there, the deck, like it's 
a million dollar view. It's literally like my back deck goes and it looks like an infinity pool into the lake. Like it's just freaking gorgeous. It's a three bed, three bath, decent sized house. It's still a beach house. Like the there's no basement. It's like we use it as storage. There's like there's sand. You know what I mean? Like it's not a real basement. But anyway, for whatever reason, I'm like, you know what? Let me let me just like try this Airbnb thing. Let me just put it up. And I just couldn't. Here's another one. Like, here we go again. How much real estate blows my mind and is so freaking incredible. Again, didn't plan on it, but put it on Airbnb. I ended up making $150,000 in one year Whoa. on this property that I just wanted to buy a lake house for myself for no reason. So that became a business. So now that's a business that I also run. And that is a lot more time consuming than anything else, than all of the other long-term buy and holds, even the, the commercial and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really good at it. I'm a super host. And like, I'm constantly, people write me at 11 p.m. I'm, I'm all over it. I'm writing them back like, oh, thank you so much for your inquiry and blah, 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 blah. And how can, you know, like, because they, they, some people have a lot of questions and some people don't ever even communicate with you whatsoever. They just book it. They're there. They leave. They, you never hear from them. But some are like, oh, and how do I turn this on? Where's this? Oh, my God. There's, but sometimes it's like there's no batteries in the remote. Like, well, I'm driving 50 minutes, five zero, 50 minutes to go get batteries. Or, oh, we ran out of toilet paper. Like, my cleaner maybe didn't put enough toilet paper. So I'm driving out there or... My husband, if something is, because he's a contractor, so something is broken that I can't fix, like he's on his way out there. So the point is uh, that one is, it's very time consuming, but again, you have to treat it like a business and you have to have customer service. And then me doing all the communicating with the customers and making the place look gorgeous and decorating, designing it and just managing it, uh, keeping propane tanks, getting rid of garbage all the time, like, like all kinds of sorts of things, but it's doing incredibly well. So again, another one that was just like a, wow, I had no idea this could happen. And whoa, like that's a lot of money. That's sweet. I'll take that one house, one year, 150K right on. Awesome. Awesome. So accidentally making plenty of money on that pretty fresh (laughs) Airbnb. I love it. Exploring new things, but knowing what you (laughs) want to get into right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Melanie, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Education is a big one. The best decision I ever made was buying that first piece of real estate. And that got me then to that real estate bug. And 
I just kept going and going and lived how many people would not want to live for a long time so that now I can live like how everybody wishes they could live. Nice. Nice. So we have the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? That's a very difficult question because luckily every investment that I have made has profited for me and has profited very well. Um, the only thing I can say is maybe I didn't vet tenants enough, probably twice in my whole career, and it ended up being a disaster. So I would say that is kind of the, the only like mistake that I can see. Wait, sorry, your question wasn't about a mistake. Your question was what was the worst investment I ever made? Yeah. I, I don't have a worst investment because they're all profiting really well and <laughs> the deals were done really well. The financing was done really well. It sucks right now that interest rates have like in our area tripled just since in the first quarter of this year. But I can't say that any investment I did was a bad choice. Nice. nice. Sorry. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I suppose this was all possible for me through work ethic. And I, I wouldn't have been able to be here if I was partying all the time, if I was hanging out with friends all the time during college and university, working my butt off and saving money because my, my will was so strong that I wanted to make sure after I got into the game a little bit and learned a little bit more about real estate and business before I was a newbie. So once I got to know a little more, I had just such a strong will to make sure that I would be financially independent on my own, by myself, so that no one ever is going to be able to tell me what I can and cannot do, what I can and cannot buy, where I can and cannot go. I, I It was so, that hunger was so strong. That's, I think, what carried me through 18 years of this industry and saving, 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 investing, saving, investing, saving, and doing that sort of loop over and over again, because I just had to make sure that I'm going to do me and whatever that might be in the future is fine, but nobody's going to be able to tell me just what I can and cannot do. And just for my own self, aside from anybody else being in the picture, I want to be able to go somewhere whenever I feel like going somewhere. And I want to be able to stay however long I want to stay and I want to have freedom. Essentially, at the end of the day, it's freedom. So that's, I think it was the drive and the hard work and the discipline that brought me to where I am today. Thank God. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find your books or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yes, please. You can reach me at thewealthybarmaid.com. Here's my book. I might be in reverse to you. I'm not sure. Anyway. It looks good to me. Well, TheWealthyBarmaid.com. I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, mainly as The Wealthy Barmaid. So please feel free, reach out if you have any questions, if any of any way I can add value to you and your audience. I'm more I'm open to I'm open to that. And yeah, it's been great. I hope I've given you guys something to take home with today. I love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. 
If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, all those things you're supposed to do on YouTube. I really do appreciate that. That all helps other people learn about the show and helps them learn how they can get involved in real estate as well. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.